Well, hello, church. Sorry, it took me a while to get up there. I'm dealing with some heel problems, so I'm, I'm not imitating Mark. It's actually my own limp, um, so he looks much cooler. Um, and, and also, I just want to warn you, I'm, I'm wearing a contact in my left eye for reading um, and nothing in my right eye, so occasionally I'm going to look up and it's either going to look like I'm winking at you or imitating Pipeye, but, but that's not the case. I'm just trying to, my brain's trying to fo- focus, so don't let that throw you. So thank all of you for being here this morning, all of you who are watching online, we're grateful that you're with us as well. We'd prefer for you to be here, but, you know, we'll send you hugs anyway. So Benjamin and Rachel are having a child-free vacation, which means that you get to deal with me this morning, and I get to deal with you. So let's get going, shall we? Back to our text in Mark. We see that James and John, the sons of thunder, the the sons, uh, the two fishing boys, have a request of Jesus. And it's not your normal request. It's, uh, it's a pretty big, pretty big request. They're, they're, they're really kind of pushing themselves out there. They're really kind of, um, kind of feeling themselves a little bit because they actually ask Jesus that once he comes into glory, can they sit on the right hand and on the left hand. The right hand is known as the seat of, of the closest advisor to the king. It's, it's the person who is the smartest in the room, or should be. It's the person who is the wisest in the room and, and knows the most information to give the king the best advice. On the left hand, that's the power. That's the strength. It's the might of the king, the military advisor that that. that puffs the king up and makes sure that he knows how powerful he is and makes sure that he makes laws to know how powerful he is. So basically what James and John are coming to Jesus and asking is they want to be the Herod and the pilot of Jesus' empire. And Jesus pushes back onto them. He pushes back into them and he's like, you don't even know what you're asking me. You have no clue what's going on. You have no clue what my kingdom's going to be like. You have no clue what it's going to require of you to sit on my right and my left side. Can you even endure the baptism that I'm about to endure? Can you drink the cup that has been prepared for me? And of course, James and John are like, well, yeah. Right? Because, well, let's be honest. They think a little more of themselves than is real. Now, you don't know anybody like that, do you? There's nobody in your life that that might have that same higher estimation of themselves than than reality is. In this series that we've been doing, Jesus Plus, Benjamin has talked to us already for the last couple of weeks about what happens when we add our doctrine to the salvation that Jesus offers. And he's also talked to us about what happens when we add, when we add our culture and the cultural influences and, and, our, and, our, and our ideal culture and what that looks like and when we add that to Jesus. Well, this morning I get the honor of talking to you about preference. Preference. What happens when we add our preference 
to Jesus. Now, preference by itself, preference by itself is a neutral word. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a soft word. It doesn't carry a whole lot of weight. Doesn't really, have, doesn't really have much bite. It's just, you know, I prefer Cocoa Pebbles over Cocoa Puffs because Cocoa Puffs tear up the roof of your mouth. Right? So, it's, I mean, it's just a simple preference. Right? I prefer to wear shorts every day because we live in Texas and Texas does not recognize all four seasons. Right? Right? I prefer that if we're going to go out to eat, that it would be Mexican food so we can have fajitas, or like last week, Daniel Boone so that we can have chicken fried steak and double mashed potatoes. Right? There are just some things we prefer. And all by itself, preference, not that big of a deal. But there was this movie in the 1980s. Maybe you remember it. It had a little character in there named Gizmo. And he had these cute, big old long ears and these big old cute eyes and all this fur. And he's brought in and he's given to this little boy. And he says, there's only three rules for taking care of this little gremlin. Don't expose it to light. Don't get it wet. And never, ever feed it after dark. Well, it's a movie, right? And if they had obeyed the rules, it would have been a really short movie. But instead, it got wet. He fed it after midnight, and it got exposed to the light, and it turned into these little gnome, gremlin, sharp-toothed monster things that were terrorizing the town. And preference, if we expose it to the light... If we feed it after midnight, or if we get it wet, can turn into all of these other words. Now, some of these words are pretty good. Some of these words like, like selection and magnification and glorification, those are good words. Those are good things, especially when directed outwardly away from us. But some of these words like prejudice and predilection... can be just like those sharp-toothed little creatures in the movie Gremlins. But they can become the sharp-toothed little monsters of our heart. Preference is what James and John are using when they come to Jesus and say, just let us sit at your right and your left hand. I know, I know you got ten other guys here. I know, I, know that, I know that Peter's pretty strong, but let's face it, he's not the brightest guy around. Right? Matthew, wouldn't, wouldn't trust him with your purse strings. He's got a kind of a history. And all these other guys, nobody's going to remember their name. It's us, Jesus. We are the ones to sit on your right and your left side. They had developed a bias about themselves over the others that, that showed them to be worthy of sitting on Jesus' right and left side. They had showed this bias of themselves that, that they were superior to all of the other apostles. And we can think about it and we can look at it and we go, well, they were young. They were just starting out. They hadn't been with Jesus that long. So, so maybe, we can, maybe we can give them a break on that. Maybe we, can, maybe we can let them pass on that. But preference can turn into bias, can turn into prejudice, can turn into arrogance, 
no matter how long we've been in the faith. Do I need to remind you about Galatians chapter 2? Where Paul has to stand up to Peter? See, Peter's been eating with the Jews and, and, and the Gentiles in Galatia. He's been hanging out with them and, and going to their parties and going into their houses and doing everything with them. Until some of the Jews from Jerusalem show up. And then Peter's like, whoop, better get back over here. And he gets back over here and he refuses to eat with them. So Paul confronts Peter. And he's going, don't, don't you remember? Don't you remember when you, Peter, went to Cornelius' house, who was a Gentile, saw the Holy Spirit fall on him and saw him speak in tongues. You saw him be, be overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit and you recognized in that moment, in that time, that Jesus can come to the Gentiles just like he can to the Jews. Peter had been living as an apostle, going around and preaching and doing all of this for years. It's years after Jesus died. And yet he still falls prey to this, to this preference that overwhelmed his good judgment, that overwhelmed his witnessing of the Holy Spirit redeeming a human being. And he forgot all about it. Benjamin warned us last week that the things that we listen to during the week have way more effect on us than our brief time that we spend in church. We get, we get an hour each week of songs of praise, hymns, reminders about the unity of this table, and maybe 20 minutes of thoughts on a scripture. And then we are whisked right back into the on-ramp of the hectic pace of our society. And all the influence that's out there. Brent talked about them this morning. And it's not just the news. It's conversations. It's thoughts. Everywhere we go, someone is trying to frame the narrative and influence us to have a preference about one side or the other. Everywhere we go, the empire of the world is trying to squash the kingdom of God. And it's not trying to do it overtly. It's not as, it's not as out front as you would expect no, it's much more subversive. It's a whisper. All those homeless people, they just don't want to work. How do you know that's their story? Have you sat and talked with them? Oh, those people over there, they're just trying to destroy this country. How do you know? Have you spoken with them? Have you sat at a table and broken bread with them? Oh, you can't trust that character. That person's just out. To no, you don't know them. We don't know any of the suits that are on our TV. We don't know any of the Hollywood stars. 
We don't know any of the entertainers in this world. We don't have an opportunity to have relationships with them because they have their own friends. We get to have relationships with the people that we come in contact with every day. In our jobs, in the stores that we frequent, in the restaurants that we go to. And sometimes, sometimes our preference turns into that sharp-toothed monster of our heart, that gremlin, and we treat people unkind. We don't tip well for our waitresses and our waiters on a Sunday after church. We're rude to them because maybe our order's messed up while they're overwhelmed and busy. We choose the wrong finger to wave at somebody in traffic. We slander somebody not knowing whose ears are hearing us. And this is not the way of the kingdom of God. This is not the way of a people who are supposed to be priests and representatives of Jesus Christ. Because what we see of Jesus is we see kind. What we see of Jesus is we see somebody who listens to the stories of people. What we see of Jesus is when a woman is brought to him and thrown at his feet and asked if she should be stoned or not, he kneels down with her. I turned 53 this year. I started preaching when I was 37. And man, I thought I knew all the answers. My preference had become arrogance. And I thought that the church that I served, if they would just get in line and do what I thought, that everything would work perfectly. But you know what? There were people sitting in the pews that thought if that I'd just get in line and do what they thought, that everything would work just perfectly. And so it was a two-year running battle. Always talking past each other. Always talking about each other. Always talking angrily to each other. I had not helped establish a culture of the kingdom of Christ. I was too busy trying to get everybody come to the church of Johnny in Christ. The only thing, the greatest thing, the purest thing, the most holy thing that we have to offer anyone else for their brokenness, for their heartaches, for the ways in which they fall short is Jesus. The judgment of God on sin. Who first John tells us it is the full payment and atonement for sin, not just for those of us who believe, but also for those who do not yet believe. It's not my job to convict people of their sins. It's not my job to confess the sins of others. Sometimes that's my preference, because then I don't have to talk about my own. 
But that's when preference becomes the sharp-toothed monster of my heart. In Matthew 28, Jesus has risen from the grave. And he has called people who followed him to the mountaintop. And as they stand there on that mountaintop, Jesus tells them that their job is to go out into all the world. To all the nations. To preach the gospel. And make disciples. And once having made disciples, to baptize them into Jesus' name. And he says, I will be with you. I wonder what happens when we decide to put the preference sticker on our Jesus will be with us. I wonder what happens when our preferences become more important than going out into all the world. I wonder what happens when our preference, we try to make people disciples of us rather than Jesus Christ. 